There are certain photos we find iconic. The sad-eyed Middle Eastern girl. The picture of Teddy Roosevelt with a blossoming bloodstain going across his chest. And the brown lady of Raynham Hall, a visible specter slowly descending the stairs. You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. Hey, it's Old Timey Crimey. I'm Christy. I'm so fucking sick. <laughs> and I'm Amber. <laughs> this is exactly what we didn't want to happen. Yeah. Yes, Scott is feeling not too well, but he is rallying and he is going to be telling us, uh, well, we're going to be telling you together, but mostly Scott, about the uh, the ghost, the brown lady of Raynham Hall in this, our very last spooky ween episode. This is the last time that we are going to be spooky in your ween until 2021. I left a brown lady right before we started the show. I knew. I knew you would. I knew. I, I should have made bets on how soon it would be. Really? Honestly, that's the only reason I'm here. That's the only reason I chose this one so I could make a poop joke. You guys got this from here on out. I'm going to go pass out and hopefully die in the corner. Now, All right. Well, you can't leave. I have a drinking game based on how sick you are. Well, maybe you're just going to have to do it based on death twitches instead of uh, instead of how many times I cough during the show. Okay, then turn your camera back on at least. <laughs> I'm not going to give you the satisfaction. <laughs> oh, this is uh, this is not COVID. Don't worry. Don't worry. At least I don't think it is. It'd be fun if it was. It would not. It would not, but at the same time, we cannot catch it because we are not face-to-face. -face. Yes. That's right. Yeah, we haven't been face-to-face -face, uh, for a recording since March. We are social distancing. What the hell's wrong with you that you're not? I, I, can, yeah. see, I can see you sitting there breathing right into your friend's face. Yeah, what you doing? Why are you doing that during a pandemic? Come on, come on. C cover your nose. Cover your nose. <laughs> Having your nose out of your mask is like wetting yourself with your dick out of your pants. It's just, it's the same. It doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, you people piss me off. Yeah, there's uh, so many people now not wearing masks, though. It's more and more every time I go grocery shopping. I mean, the president was in town. You should be wearing a mask. <laughs> okay, well, before we get started, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. It really helps the show. Remember, we are an independent podcast, and it's just something you can do to help the little guys out like us. So yeah, Apple Podcast Stitcher, and now I've noticed a new uh, feature on Spotify for those of you who use it, where the follow button is. You can click on that and or tap on it, and you get an option to get notified whenever a new episode is released. So I've been going through and doing that for all of my favorite podcasts, and you, sh Spotify users, should do it for us too. And there's also our Redbubble shop where we have merch. I did show Amber and Scott the uh, new design that will be going up sometime, uh, hopefully in the, uh, the week that you're listening to this, it'll already be there. But uh, I've been distracted and haven't been able to get it up all the way. So, oh, ooh, oh boy, that's, that's a personal, uh, personal admission. <laughs> um, so, but you can go to oldtimeycrimey.redbubble.com and that link will also be in our show notes and you can find some awesome merch of all different kinds. 
So there's coffee mugs, there's coasters. You can have a Schmidt Gets Real coffee mug on top of your I Listen to Filthy Words coaster. And don't tell me you don't want that. And also don't forget our social media, Old Time Crime Me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Come see us. We post stuff related to the episodes. Actually, just this week, we uh, posted our Ghosts of the Tower episode. And then two days later, today, technically, I found an article that just popped up in my Google because everything we research ends up popping up in my news feed because the internet now knows I'm interested in all this stuff. And an article about... Anne Boleyn and some new research about her execution popped up. So I was like, oh, well, perfect. Perfect timing. Posted that. So yeah, you can see all that stuff. And uh, don't forget our Patreon, patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. We're starting to put up this past week, we put up our very first mega episode, kind of. I mean, it's about the same size as our regular episodes, but it's, you know, we all sort of do a menage a trois and we all get a get a little something, something in there. So, so yeah, <laughs> that is what you can do. Um, and now let's talk about a spooky place. Scott, Ooh. Brown Lady of Raynham Hall, take it away. Well, let's first focus on the Raynham Hall itself. This is a country house in Norfolk, England, and for 400, 400, 400 years, it's been the seat of the Townsend family. The hall gave its name to the five estate villages known as the Raynhams. Raymond Hall is probably the most splendid of the great houses of Norfolk. It was started in 1619, but it was kind of a false start. But then it was re-begun in 1622. Uh, around the time of Sir Roger Townsend's death in 1637, it was complete. It, saying it was complete, it's like, yeah, close enough. You know? There, there were some rooms that had not been what they call fitted out. Whenever the architect, Sir Roger Pratt, saw it a few years after Townsend's death, he said, uh, not long after it was built, I, I was some while in it, and it had no ornament at all. There was somewhat in it divine in the symmetry of proportions of length, height, and breadth, which was harmonious to the rational soul. Ooh, wow. Ooh. I do have, these aren't really close pubs, but they're in the general area because this is a country, very much a country area. Oh, Christy, I searched out pubs for you too. Oh, okay. Give me what you got. I'm excited. So the closest pubs I found, I found four, and I'm going to save the best named one for last. I know exactly what's coming. <laughs> so we've got the Henry the Fourth. Yeah, okay. The, the least disagreeable Henry, I suppose. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we have... The Crown. I, um, I would like to point out that there are actually two other The Crowns within a 13-mile radius as the crow flies. So it's got to get real confusing when you want to meet somebody for a drink. Right, right. The Crown. Which crown? That crown. <laughs> the, I bet there's one that people go, the good crown, and they know exactly who they're talking. Oh, yeah, we don't go to that other crown. No, Probably. okay, so Evansburg does that with sheets like the sheets convenience store and so like you'll be like which sheets in evansburg they'll be like disco sheets yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay and somehow they all know which one disco sheets is <laughs> I, i'd love it if we just start like for american cases the she all the sheets that are the closest well you have sheets and then you have sheets and then you have sheets and then you have that other sheets uh for those that don't know sheets is a east coast convenience store i think 
Think like 7-Eleven, stuff like that. So we have the limes. Meh. And yeah. then my favorite, the rampant horse inn. Ooh, okay. That didn't go quite where I expected oh, it to. Oh, really? Let's let's hear the pubs you found. Well, I found those those crowns, as I mentioned. And then there's also the Georgian dragon, which is kind of like Okay, I'm intrigued. And my personal favorite, the dabbling duck. The dabbling? I didn't see the dabbling duck. Google Maps is weird. It depends on your zoom level, what you see and your search parameters and everything. Because when we did the tower ghosts last week, Jackson and I had been talking before that. And I mentioned that it was very close to the, the great fire monument that we visited when we were in London. And he's like, oh, did you do British pubs? Were there any of the ones that are close to, you know, th that we went to? And I was like, I can't find that one. And he was able to find it on his phone, whereas I was on my, had been on my computer and I couldn't find it. So Google Maps is weird. It's the point of that very stupid story. But getting back to Raynham Hall, as I said, it is a breathtaking home. And it, it's... It may have been influenced by the stylings of Inigo Jones. Inigo Jones is a, uh, is a British architect. Very, very significant around about the time of the 1630s, 1640s. So it seems like Raynham Hall is, is kind of based off his feel. Now, we're going to go to an English aristocrat, Dorothy Townsend. She was born Dorothy Walpole. She was born September 18th, 1686 at Houghton Hall. She was the 13th child born to Robert Walpole and Mary Burrell. That is a lot of kids. That's, that is, it's just a conga line straight out the vagina. <laughs> now, sometime before July 25th, 1713, she married Charles Townsend, second Viscount and became his second wife. I it might be pronounced Viscount. Viscount? I let's I'm going to look it up real quick actually okay. because I'm curious. Viscount? Viscount? I think it's Viscount. Like you know, cra crazy Charlie's Viscount store. <laughs> we sell discount prices. This 9.99, get it for $8. Uh, I'll I'll bring over the pronunciation guys you guys see it i'll put it in the chat uh there you go vicomte 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 fucking french again <laughs> now she married charles she by all accounts loved charles but not so much to keep her genitals away from one thomas wharton thomas wharton the first marquess of wharton he was notorious for his debauched lifestyle. In fact, it was said of uh, old Tommy Boy here that a woman could not spend 20 and four hours and keep her privies intact. And the thing about him is he's married. And part of that quote is also his lady's complacent subserviency is so notorious. So his lady, his wife, would also help him get into the young lady's pantaloons or whatever they were wearing in that time period. But the thing is, is that in a little digging, I don't think that that was during their marriage or there's some questions as to whether it is, I guess I should say. Okay, so did we see what Charles Townsend's 
what his nickname was? I did not. Turnip. Oh, no. No, it was because of his achievement that really was a huge part of the agricultural revolution in England. He made a big turnip farm. He was all about the turnips, and he started pushing for turnips to be used to feed cattle in the winter. And so this whole system that he designed, the Norfolk four-core system, which rotates turnips, barley, clover, and wheat as the crops, was really huge in the agricultural revolution. It's probably a big part of the reason that we have food today. So yeah, they called him Turnip Townshend and it's actually kind of a compliment because he was was doing some good stuff, you know? I thought he had a dick shaped like a turnip. I know exactly, that's where you went. So the thing is, is that he and Dorothy, uh, Dorothy was the sister to his sometimes partner and, and sometimes nemesis, Walpole. And when they fell in love, I think, he was in his early 20s, which puts her around 10 or 11. Um, so uh, the thing Epstein-y. is, the, the legal marriage in this time, it was all Epstein. Legal marriage, the age was 14 for boys and 12 for girls. Yeah. Although much to our relief, generally, I'm sure not in all cases, but generally that marriage would stay, if it was that young, it would stay unconsummated for a while. So that was good at least. And she did want to marry him and he apparently wanted to marry her. That's still gross. It doesn't matter if it's not going to be consummated. Still, it's gross. But um, her father... 12-year-old boys? What um, was the age for boys? 14. 14. Jesus Christ, 14-year-old boys don't measure dick sizes. They measure toy sizes. <laughs> Same if, difference. Even if they knew how to measure their dick, they wouldn't know whether to be proud of it or not. It was the 1600s. You had 14-year-old boys going off to war, I'm sure. Hmm. So her father was actually Townshend's guardian. His father had died when he was 12 years old. And so Dorothy's father was like, and I don't think this marriage is a good idea because it might be unethical. People might think that I'm trying to take advantage of my position of, you know, being his guardian in order to further my daughter's prospects. So instead, he married Elizabeth Pelham in 1698. Together, they had five children, four boys and a girl. Then she died in 1711. I'd like to point out that, of course... We only get the really important information, which is the birth years for the boys, but not for the girl, of course. It's just question mark, question mark, question mark. Oh, you noticed that too? (laughs) Yes, I did, of course. So now Dorothy, she is like, okay. And eventually, I'm not sure at what age, as Scott said, she went off to be the mistress of Lord Wharton. And he was uh, he was not well liked. Jonathan Swift called him, quote, the most universal villain I ever knew. An anonymous source called him, quote, a monster whom no vice can bigger swell, abhorred by heaven and long since do in hell. That was Jesus. probably Jonathan Swift, too. I pity the devil the day Wharton arrives in hell. No, exactly. This is the description of Wharton that I have. A dissolute never-do-well who had to leave the country rather suddenly because of debt. (laughs) Yes, he loved the ladies, but he also loved spending the money. And he was not going to pass down any good traits either because he was the father to the probable founder of one of the earliest Hellfire clubs. Mm. There you go. This is where they had, uh, the first one had 40 members. 
scandalously get ready to clutch those pearls. Fifteen of them were women. Son of mm. a bitch. I'm going to get laid. <laughs> they would dress up as biblical characters, and basically they were looking to mock Christianity. They drank hellfire punch and ate holy ghost pie, devil's loins, and breast of Venus. Okay. <laughs> and Yeah, right? There were lots of rumors about their behavior, but when looking back, there's not much evidence of actual satanic practices here. And But when a member died, they would then be appointed ambassador in hell for the club. So there's also that. <laughs> so yeah, she she got with the uh, Lord Wharton and was with him for a while, but then Lady er, Elizabeth Pelham died, and then in 1713, two years after Pelham's death, that's when they got married. As uh, she was 27 at the time, and he was 39. So whether or not they were together after the marriage is a question. But if anything occurred later. That was because of her previous uh, affiliations. That would also have been a possibility at the time, is all I'm saying. So, okay, go ahead. Stop. What are you doing tonight, George? I'm going to head down to the Hellfire Club, so fuck, some, fuck some chick up the ass while she's dressed like Jesus Christ, and then masturbate to the statue of Virgin Mary over in the corner. You Don't know. forget, have me some breast of Venus for dinner. Uh, of course, same old, same old. This, this body of Christ has gotten stale. <laughs> They actually went on to have seven children together, five boys and two girls. So he had 12 children altogether, and there was a 24 years difference between his first and his last child. Amateurs. <laughs> I, I have a sister that's six and a half months older than my mom. Beat that. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> no, I swear to God I do. He's not lying. Oh, it was a half-sister from your dad? Yeah, half-sister. There okay. was 30 years between my mom and my dad. He was married before. and Yeah. Yeah. Everything's all fucked up in my family. At least the, at least the tree forks, though. I'm happy about that. <laughs> yeah, some of these trees did not. You, yeah, you were awfully close to that West Virginia border, huh? We really were, but thankfully, nope. <laughs> all right. So, Go ahead and continue on. So Charles Townsend, he's not happy. He finds out about this. She never told him. And he, uh, he locks Dorothy up in Raynham Hall. And on top of that, throws a mock funeral. Just tells every yeah, she's dead. Eh, she's yeah, dead. He, he took her kids away from her, too. Yeah. Yeah. Just went, yeah, she's dead. Locks her up in a room of Raynham Hall. And on top of that... And tells everybody she died of smallpox. And then, of course, you had some people saying it was a broken heart because, yeah, okay. And then uh, also some people saying, no, actually, something was broken, but it was her neck and he pushed her down the staircase. The grand staircase. <clears throat> yeah, staircase, smallpox, they both begin with S. Easy mistake to make. Oh, and I also would like to point out that if she did get back with Wharton, while she was married to Townsend, she wouldn't have had much time because they got married in 1713 and he died in 1715. So he was already dead when all this happened. He was probably more pissed off he didn't marry a virgin. Yeah, yeah. That would have been probably how she was advertised. Yeah. Oh, advertised. That makes it sound dirty. Like it I, was? Yeah. Like it was. Yeah. <laughs> So, I was actually just reading today about how in, here in America, they had seduction laws down south. I don't know if they had any in the north, but it was one particular state, North Carolina. They had seduction laws back in the 
1800s, I think it started. It might have started before that. And the whole point of the law was to punish a man who took a girl's virtue in order to recompense her father. Mm. So it is very much a transactional situation here on both sides of the pond and uh, everywhere else pretty much in this time period. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's first recorded claims of a sighting of a ghost. So the first recorded claim is on Christmas of 1835, but believe it or not, we have one 20 years earlier. The Prince Regent is visiting uh, Raynham Hall and him and a bunch of workers report being frightened out of their fucking mind by a lady in a dated brown dress walking the halls at night. And she would appear and vanish, appear and vanish, walk through a wall. And she bore a very strong resemblance to the portrait of Lady Dorothy that hung up in a bedroom. But your first official sighting, the, your very first official sighting, is Christmas of 1835. This was recorded by a Lucia C. Stone. Stone says that Lord Charles Townsend had invited guests to the hall, including a Colonel Loftus, to join in Christmas festivities. Loftus and another guest named Hawkins said they saw the brown lady one night as they approached their bedrooms wearing the same very dated brown dress. The following evening, Loftus uh, goes, I saw her again. And he said, I, I got really close to her and she looked at me. She's got no eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that terrifying? Yeah. Now, I would like to point out one thing I noticed was that Loftus is a name that is shared by Wharton's history. His mother was a Loftus. And I found that interesting. Mm. Now, whether this particular Loftus was a relation or not, I don't know because he's only ever mentioned, as far as I can tell, as Colonel Loftus, no first name. And yeah, it's just impossible. I would still be digging after having done my notes like last week. I would still be digging for that information. So I gave up. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. That is okay. Did a bunch of servants quit in the 1835 one? Yes, they did. And then the... The household was like, well, I know what we'll do. We'll hire detectives and try to ferret out the ghosts because that that's what detectives are for. They're, they're <laughs> ready to believe in you. Well, this was before Ghostbusters. So, yeah. I mean, there was limited resources. Yeah. Yeah. When you said who you're going to call, not only do you not have a phone, but, you know. Instead of proton wands and ghost traps, all you got to deal with is like crucifixes. And we all know how effective those are. Not really. Just, just call the town doctor, lawyer, coroner. Yeah. Yeah. Dentist, barber. <laughs> He's the only one we got. Yeah. He'll know what to do. The guy that cuts my hair is, is an expert in all things arcane and paranormal. I mean, empty eye sockets that glow. That's, that sounds like a medical condition. Absolutely. Absolutely. Here, just uh, put these little tiny uh, ping pong balls in. You'll be fine, lady. God. That mental image is hilarious. It really is. <laughs> it really is. With like Titleist, like just haphazardly written across the front of one. So the next reported sighting of the brown lady is 1836 by Captain Frederick Marriott. This is not somebody who's like crazy fucking nuts off the street. 
This dude's an author. He had, he had authored a series of popular sea novels, and he was a friend of Charles Dickens. He was also a Royal Navy officer, and among his other books that he wrote was a travelogue about his trip to America. It was called Diary in America. And uh, apparently it was not well received here where there was some burning of books and effigies of him. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, yeah. Marriott comes to a random hall and uh, apparently with him is also some stoner, two ladies and a dog that can talk because he, he's, he's fairly certain there's some Scooby-Doo bullshit going on here. He's requesting to spend the night in the haunted room at random hall to prove his theory that it's no ghost. These are smugglers trying to keep people away from the area. I ain't afraid of no ghost. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, he was. <laughs> yes, he was. His, his daughter, Florence, wrote in 1891. I'm going to read this off here. He took possession of the room in which the portrait of the apparition hung and in which she had been often seen and slept each night with a loaded revolver under his pillow because we all know bullets kill ghosts. Yep. We keep trying it anyway. Bullets, bayonets, go mm -hmm. for it. It's Absolutely. just incredibly effective. Bless like, I, I feel like I would have a squirt gun with holy water. Yeah. Because that seems more effective than bullets. But yeah. just throw it out there. Four out of five apothecarists suggest bullets. Now don't <laughs> don't get me wrong, bullets are good for a headache. Uh, I can <laughs> I can guarantee that one one, maybe two bullets at most and your headache will be gone almost instantly. Sure, they're hard to take, but that's what the handy-dandy applicator's for. Um, oh, God. <laughs> so, for two days, he sees nothing, and he's only there for three days. On the third night, two nephews of the baronet knock at his door uh, as he's undressing to go to bed, and go, hey, could you come over to the room? It's at the other end of the corner. And, uh, and I'd like you to give us the opinion of this new gun. So he, he uh, kind of went, yeah, sure, it's late, but why not? As they're leaving the room, he catches up his revolver, and he goes, in case I meet the brown lady. When the inspection of the gun was over, the young men in the same spirit declared they would accompany my father back. In case you meet the brown lady, they repeated, laughing also. The three gentlemen therefore returned in company. The corridor was long and dark, for the lights had been extinguished, and as they reached the middle of it, they saw the glimmer of a lamp coming towards them from the other end. One of the ladies going to visit the nurseries, whispered the young Townsends to my father. Now the bedroom doors in that corridor faced each other, and each room had a double door with space between, as is the case of many old-fashioned houses. My father, as I have said, was in shirt and trousers only and his native modesty made him feel uncomfortable. So he slipped within one of the outer doors, his friends following his example, in order to conceal himself until the lady should have passed by. I have heard him describe how he watched her approaching nearer and nearer through the chink of the door, until, as she was close enough for him to distinguish the collars and style of her costume, he recognized the figure as the facsimile of the portrait of the brown lady. He had his figure on the trigger of his revolver, and was about to demand it to stop and give the reason for its presence there, when the figure halted of its own accord before the door behind which he stood, and holding the lighted lamp she carried to her features, grinned in a malicious and diabolical manner at him. This act so infuriated my father, 
what balls. How dare this ghost mock me? This <laughs> fucking demon from the nether realm. How dare? Have at you. I practice fisticuffs at Hambridge. Um, how dare she grin at me? Maybe she was flirting. Yeah. Hey, baby. I see you, you back there. You look like there. a nice man. <laughs> I see you back there in only seven pieces of clothing. She said, this act so infuriated my father, who was anything but lamb-like in disposition, that he sprang into the corridor with a bound and discharged the revolver right in her face. The figure instantly disappeared. The figure at which for several minutes three men had been looking together, and the bullet passed through the outer door of the room on the opposite side of the corridor and lodged in the panel of the inner one. My father never attempted again to interfere with the brown lady of Rainham. I think my favorite part is where he asks the ghost to explain herself. Like what? that to me. What the bloody the shooting, hell do you think you're doing, woman? Explain yourself, woman. What do you think you're doing in the man's hallway? But he, he also no. shot a ghost in the face. There's also that, but somehow the expecting the ghost to, ex like, knowing she's the ghost. I think he knew she was the ghost when he said that, when he asked her to explain him herself. Aside from the shooting, yes, the shooting is hilarious and ridiculous, but it's, it's the sheer, just complete, like, he's not in on the trope, you know? <laughs> like, he, he's so clueless that he's like, oh, surely I'll just ask the ghost what the hell it's doing here and it'll respond. This episode is sponsored by Podcorn. We here at Old Timey Crimey absolutely love Podcorn. It has been a godsend for our show, connecting us to sponsorship opportunities like this one. And there's more than ads. You, the podcaster, can pitch interview segments and topical discussions with sponsors, too. We love that we don't have to work through a middleman. We can go directly to potential sponsors, set our own rates, and collaborate with brands. We also love that we don't give up any creative control or rights. We stay independent, but we're able to pull in revenue too. Not only that, but we've made long lasting connections through the platform. Everyone we've worked with has been just incredible. And because Podcorn is so great, we're going to be running our own sponsorship through it in 2021 using revenue we've generated from Podcorn itself. I don't think there's any better endorsement than that. So click the link in our show notes to sign up to Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities. Now, here's the thing. You too can see the ghost of Random Hall, the brown lady. It is, without a doubt, the most famous ghost photo ever taken. I can't think of a single ghost photo that has as much popularity as the ghost of Raynham Hall. Can, can you ladies think of anything that even approaches this? No, yeah. not really. No. This is your A1 top notch. This is Marilyn above the great. This is, this is it. The, the pinnacle. This happens September 19th, 1936. Captain Hubert C. Provand, a London-based photographer working for Country Life magazine, and his assistant, Indri Shira, were taking photographs for Raynham Hall for an article. They had taken a photograph of the hall's main staircase, and they were getting ready to take up a second when Shira saw this vapory form gradually assuming the appearance of a woman moving down the stairs 
towards them. In Shira's own words, this is what he says. Captain Provan took one photograph while I flashed the light. He was focusing for another exposure. I was standing by his side just behind the camera with the flashlight pistol in my hand, looking directly up at the staircase. All at once, I detected an ethereal veiled form coming slowly down the stairs. Rather excitedly, I called out sharply, Quick, quick, there's something. I pressed the trigger of the flashlight pistol. After the flash and on the closing of the shutter, Captain Pervond removed the focusing cloth from his head and turning to me said, What's all the excitement about? When Pravond developed the photograph, you could see the brown lady descending the stairs. It appeared in Country Life. A year later, it's in Life magazine. This, I mean, this was really something. And it's at this point that I want to take a little bit of a detour. And it is a hellish detour. I, I admit that. But this, I can connect this case up with my favorite paranormal case in history. And I cannot pass this up. So right after this photograph is taken, the paranormal investigator, Harry Price, interviewed Pravond and Shira and said, I will say at once, I was impressed. I was told a perfectly simple story. Mr. Indra Shira saw the apparition descending the stairs at the precise moment when Captain Pravond's head was under the black cloth. A shout and the cap was off and the flashball fired and the results which we now see. I could not shake the story. I had no right to disbelieve him. Only collusion between the two men would account for the, if the ghost is fake. The negative is entirely innocent of any faking. Do you, have, have either of you ever heard of Harry Price? I knew we were going to go there. It's so funny because we were doing this case. We were, I did the research and then I think maybe that very night or the next night I saw that there was a new episode of The Constant which is one of my favorite podcasts mm -hmm. and the, I'm wondering if this is where you're going the episode was about Jeff the Talking Mongoose hell yeah it's about Jeff the Talking Mongoose <laughs> Yes, yes. And they mentioned Harry Price, and I was like, I know that name. I literally was just reading about him today. Like, I mean, it was so weird, the, the confluence of events that brought all that together. Like, you picked this case because of Jeff the Talking Mongoose, and the constant did Jeff the Talking Mongoose, and so they referenced Harry Price, who was related to this case. Right, Harry Price, he was the real-life Fox Mulder of England. And there's, there's actually yeah. a TV series in England called Harry Price that is absolutely fantastic but one of the things harry price investigated was the dalby spook also known as jeff the talking mongoose is there a crime here no the real crime would be not mentioning jeff the talking mongoose oh my god i love <laughs> it was it was so fascinating to hear and also on the episode of the constant he also uh, did uh, a voice of the talking mongoose like you know quotes that he said in never like this if, it was delightful. If you want the best Jeff the Talking Mongoose, there's a podcast called Blurry Photos. Blur blurryphotos.org. They're, they're Jeff the Talking Mongoose is like this. Hey, hey, I see what you're getting at there. I got, <laughs> I'll have you know, I got this bird whistle. I've been blowing it. Not one lady has come over and scratched me fur. So <laughs> I, think, I think I need, I need to return this. I've, I've got a DJ show. Uh, I, I DJ under the name D, uh, Jeff the Talking DJ. 
<laughs> I need to have ladies around dancing. And this bird whistle you gave me, not a single bird. I, I'll tell you what, yeah, blurry photos is great. I love uh, that everybody, every podcast has its own take, its own twist on Jeff the Talking Mongoose. It's delightful. I picture Jeff sounding like Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, Jeff the Talking Mongoose. We're going to take you back to September of 1931. The Irving family consists of James, Margaret, and their 13-year-old daughter, Voiry. They start to hear, like, scratching, scratch, 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 rustling. And here's something that kind of goes, oh, this is interesting. Vocal noises behind the farm's wooden wall panels. It, it, it's a thing where, like, these noises, like, they're barks and scratches. But every once in a while, like, a word will come out, you know. It, it, and it's almost like whatever this thing is, is kind of listening to the family and teaching itself how to talk, right? So eventually, this voice in the walls introduces itself. No panics, nothing. This is normal. According to the Irvings, this mongoose named Jeff introduced itself. And it says, hey, uh, I was born in New Delhi, India in 1852. Jeff was about the size of a small rat with yellowish fur and a large bushy tail. Now, here's the thing. There's pictures of Jeff. There's, there's pictures. There's honest-to-God pictures. Here's Jeff hanging out on a fence post. Here's, here's Jeff relaxing in a field. And Jeff is so adorable. We've got paw prints of Jeff. He's just amazing. The, and, and it's great the way, the way he talked. The Irving said that Jeff communicated to them that uh, I'm an extra, extra clever mongoose. And he's an earthbound spirit. Uh, I'm a ghost in the form of a mongoose. And one said, I am a freak. I have hands and I have feet. And if you saw me, you'd faint. You'd be petrified, mummified, turned into stone or a pillar of salt. And the Irvings kind of said, oh, he guards their house. He, he would like run up and tell them, hey, 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 Susan's coming down the walk. Susan's coming. You're going to get company. Here comes Susan. Or there, there's a dog. There's a dog. There's a brown dog. I've never seen the brown dog here before. And he would even like if somebody forgot to put out the fire at night, he would go down and stop the stove. <laughs> he would wake people up whenever they overslept. Why can I not have this kind of haunting? Right. <laughs> and yeah, it was a thing where he would even catch mice that got into the house, but he wouldn't kill them. He would just kind of scare them away. They would give Jeff biscuits. They would give him chocolates, bananas. Food was left for him in a saucer suspended from the ceiling, which he would took when he thought no one was watching. Jeff would accompany them on trips to the market, but he would always stay on the other side of the hedges, just talking to himself non-stop which i think is fucking hilarious like you're walking into the store and you just hear this like i'm a, I'm a good mongoose i'm a good mongoose I, I i didn't want to kill the mouse i didn't want to kill it i just wanted to scare it away i hope they come out of the store soon i like chocolate i hope they get me some chocolate some car caramel seeds i just fucking love that <laughs> i fucking love that unfortunately margaret and Voy. Uh, left, uh, left the home in 1945 after the death of James. They had to sell the farm at a loss because it had the reputation of being haunted. 
Honestly, I, I would have snatched it up in a second. The actor Leslie Graham bought their farm, told the press that he had shot and killed Jeff. Uh, the body was displayed by Graham, however, black and white and much larger than a mongoose. And Voiry was certain it was not Jeff. Voiry died in 2005. And later on in the life, like everybody's kind of waiting for her to like go, oh no, I made this all up. No, right to the end, she maintained, nope, Jeff was real. Jeff was an honest-to-God talking mongoose. I love that. I love that. I want a talking mongoose. And yeah, the family actually really disliked all the attention they got both from the people around them and the, like the media and everything. They, I mean, they were offered money for various projects involving Jeff the Talking Mongoose and refused it. So if they'd been behind it, you would think that they would also be the type to benefit from it. So yeah, there's all kinds of theories. They go over them on the constant of like why this may have happened and then really like how this may have happened how can we debunk this and there's really no not quite a debunking you know it's kind of kind of hard to pull off yeah yeah i do have to ask you though scott you love jeff the talking mongoose yes you always call bullshit on all like paranormal supernatural stuff or you have some explanation well what what's what's your stance i don't have an explanation for jeff some things are just some things are just creepy as is I want, I, I, I'm a little skeptical, but I would say 70% of me believes that Jeff the Talking Mongoose was real. Uh, there are other creatures who have learned to talk. We're talking like aside from like birds, uh, like parrots, cockatiels, what have you. There was actually a seal, and you can, you can watch this online. There is a seal called Hoover, Hoover the Talking Seal who the Cundy family, they found him uh, as a seal pup and took him home because uh, they, they found his mother dead. So they took Hoover home and he kind of became like the family dog. They like fenced in the pond. And, but pretty soon Hoover becomes a little bit too big for them to take care of. So uh, Mr. Cundy, he, uh, I believe that was his name. It might be Cundy Beach too, um, where they found him. Cundy's Harbor, Cundy's Harbor. It was uh, George Swallow. George Swallow was Hoover's owner. So George Swallow calls up the aquarium and goes, hey, I got a seal that I can't take care of anymore. And they go, what? Yeah, he's the family pet. Uh, he just, I can't take care of him anymore. Can you take him in? Yeah. He talks. What? <laughs> yeah, hmm. he talks. And he gives Hoover over to them and he doesn't talk for two years. But then one day, Hoover starts to talk. There is video on YouTube of crowds just looking at Hoover and him going like this angry pirate. He would mimic like George, Georgia. We're talking like New England. So George had like this thick New England accent and, and Hoover would get into the cupboards and he, and he would go, hey, 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 get out of there. Right. So there's <laughs> Hoover floating in the aquarium pool and, and he's just going, hey, get out of there. Get out of there. Get out of there. Like that. So, I mean, if a seal can talk, I can't see why, why a mongoose couldn't. It's, yeah. he, he might have been just a freak of nature. He might have been something paranormal. But, I mean, we have photos. They didn't try to get rich off of it. 
I, I can't see what the angle is. In fact, they hated, they hated the publicity. So, I mean, what's the angle of saying, yay, mongoose? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I just wanted to get your take on it since it's always like curious. Like you're always like, everybody expects me to just believe everything, but I believe nothing. And <laughs> so. going back to the brown lady, I, I think the, the photo may be fake. I think the photo may be fake. But I believe the brown lady does haunt Raynham Hall. Okay. All right. I can see that. That that makes a lot of sense to me. And yeah, I'm with you on the photo being fake. They actually had some things say that, that Harry Price, some sources say Harry Price, or at least some experts looked at the negative and they were like, oh, no hanky-panky here. And that's one thing. But then also in 2006, a paranormal investigator um, Alan Mundy, he was going through some manuscripts at Cambridge University. He finds this folder, and in this folder, there are investigation records into the actual photo uh, from when the Society for Psychical Research, which was what Harry Price headed, did a investigation on it. And they, their conclusion of the investigation was that the camera leaked light onto the photographic plate, and that's what formed the image of the brown lady. I think I think it's a little bit more sinister than that because it's there is evidence in the photo of a double exposure. Joe Nickel has written an amazingly detailed examination of the photo, and two other uh, experts, John Fairley and Simon Welfare, have said there's a pale line above each stair tread, indicating that one picture has been superimposed over the other, and there's a patch of reflected light at the top of the right-hand banister that appears twice. Mm. And the magician John Booth and his friend Ron Wilson, they covered uh, themselves with a bedsheet and descended the grand staircase of the Magic Castle in Hollywood. And the fake ghost image looks very similar to the Raynham Hall photograph. The thing that gets me is this doesn't really look like a woman descending the stairs. This looks like the statue of the Virgin Mary. It really does, yeah. Maybe not once you... I think you see it subconsciously, or at least I did. I only saw it subconsciously at first. And then when I saw that potential explanation, I was like, oh, okay. All right. Yes. Like, I was like, yeah, you can't, can't unsee the Virgin Mary comparison after you've, you can't unsee it once you've heard that comparison. You can't unsee the Virgin Mary. <laughs> Episode title. I have a couple other hauntings. Please. Some more appearances by the brown lady. In 1926, a lady Townsend, the wife of Charles Townsend's great-great-great-great-grandson. Now that's from his first marriage, the one to Pelham, which I think is uh, an interesting point. But she was in the house with her son and a friend. And now supposedly none of them had known about the ghost up until that point. But when they saw her afterwards, they were like, oh, yeah, she totally matches the portrait of Dorothy in her room. And then one of her descendants, the Honorable Jonathan Walpole, claims that his friend's father once saw the ghost on the stairs. And we have a marchioness possibly the wife of the okay so our original charles uh his great 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 grandson 
uh, said she saw the ghost a bunch in the 60s. And I found a newspaper account that was really interesting from 1906 that said, quote, her disembodied spirit is said to appear before the birth of a Townsend or after the death of a member of the family. And this unquiet wraith was reported to have been seen on the day preceding the demise of the late Marquis, who I couldn't really tell it was 1906 and the last marquee I could find in the family died in like 1898. So I was like, maybe that guy, I don't know. But yeah, um, she's been seen like multiple, multiple times. Of course, it's going to be likely that if a ghost haunts a familial house is being passed down through the generations, naturally a lot of the people who see her are going to be members of that family. But I just find it really interesting that we have cases like the one mentioned with Colonel Loftus, who could have been a potential relation. And it just seems like so many of the cases you have relations, but maybe more on the negative side, like when it's descendants not of the brown lady, but descendants of Elizabeth Pelham who are seeing her and, you know, possible descendants of or relations of Lord Wharton. That really feels like she's haunting specific people who she has negative feelings towards. Now, I couldn't find any connection. Marriott, Captain Marriott's history is, is kind of hard to pull out. Finding those ties is really difficult. So I wasn't able to find it in every case. But I, my feeling is if there is a haunting here, it is a haunting with purpose. She is haunting the descendants and relations of people who she felt wronged her or she felt negatively towards in life. Because if she wanted to marry Townsend and then Elizabeth Pelham got in there because, you know, Dorothy's father was like, nah, that looks kind of sketchy if I let you do that. And not because of your age. No, no, no. Not because of your age. <laughs> then, I, you know, she probably had some negative feelings towards the woman who married the man she considered the love of her life. And then also possibly negative feelings towards Wharton's family because he would have, you know, soiled her purity or whatever. And if she was locked away, he was the cause of it. Or, you know, in a way, in addition to Townsend locking her away, that also could be considered a cause. So that is my particular theory and then there's some stuff. That's not the only place she haunts, too. She's been seen at Sandringham House, which is uh, Elizabeth II's private home in Norfolk. Uh, it's about 16 miles away from Raynham Hall. But when she's seen there, she's not spooky and old. She's young and carefree, which is very nice to think of. And George IV, the Prince of Wales, he was young at the time. Uh, this is a previous generation. He saw her at Houghton Hall. And this is eight miles from Raynham. And it was her brother's house. But when she died, it was only four years into its 13-year construction. So we don't know if she ever really visited or was even able to stay long. But uh, she was at the foot of his bed. He saw a ghost with pale, a pale face and messy hair. And he said he would, quote, not spend another hour in the accursed house, for tonight I have seen that which I hope to God I never see again. So I don't think young and carefree in that case. I'm, I'm pretty sure not. So um, now as for the story that she was locked up, either one of her descendants or one of Townsend's descendants uh, said, people said that Dorothy was locked away and badly treated, but in the 1960s we uncovered paperwork and medical reports suggesting she had a happy life and was much loved. I personally would love to see that material, honestly. It would, that's the kind of like primary material that I just would love to sink my teeth into, but not like a because lot it would. Of bullshit, quite honestly. 
I mean, I, just, I don't, I want to see it to prove it too, you know, yeah. but, and then in 2009, Lord Charles Townsend. So um, it would be uh, good old Charles uh, and Elizabeth, their great, 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 great grandson to the BBC. She isn't there to haunt the house, but she is still there. I know she's there and I'm glad she's around. So if it is the case that she was haunting in a negative way, maybe she's made peace if it's he's like yeah i know she's there but she's not haunting and he's happy he's not feeling any you know bad vibes then maybe it's good and the thing is is that this place is kind of like whoo it's it's pretty ghosty it's it's weed is quite spooky the duke of monmouth made a posthumous pop-in to the room where he had once stayed when he was obviously alive and currently staying in the room was an elderly spinster so she was unmarried at 23 probably and she called the visit, quote, an agreeable and flattering experience, end quote. Oh, my, my vacation once again interrupted by the paranormal, but it was so pleasant. <laughs> yeah. And now it's also haunted by the ghosts of two children and a cocker spaniel. <laughs> a so the cocker spaniel won't go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's my stuff. That family angle, I know it's obvious, but it also feels like it's particular family. So that felt kind of jumped out to me. Indeed, indeed. Nice, nice finds, Christy. Oh, thank you. And that that's all I have for the brown lady. Is Does anybody else have anything else? No. You guys covered it all. All right. It's well, um, it's not a good show until we get a mongoose in there someplace. Right. <laughs> so this this is officially our our first good show. Yeah. <laughs> this is the one that gets us famous. Oh yeah. So yeah, that was really fascinating, and I love how you managed to make the the connection to to Jeff the talking mongoose. That's that's great. Because honestly, I would have. I would have allowed it as a case because I was going to put it on the list for next year. I might have already. <laughs> so There's got to be a crime here someplace. Yeah, you said, you know, you were doing the Brown Lady of Random Hall because it lets you lean into Jeff the Talking Mongoose. And I'm sitting here like, I got it's Spooky Ween. We break the rules of Spooky Ween. Yes, I think we, we can go a little bit away from the crimes just once or twice. It well, no, he probably killed her. There was a few accounts that he was abusive. Well, yeah, in, in that in that case, in the in the Townsend case, yes. But I'm talking about Jeff the Talking Mongoose alone. Like we could have well, done Jeff the Talking Mongoose. He didn't need to use Brainum as an excuse because I'm okay with there not necessarily being a crime in the Mongoose case. I think it was a good segue. We got to have like a little mongoose time, a little ghosty time. Like it, it worked out. Oh yeah, it absolutely worked out. I just think it's funny because I was like, you didn't need an excuse. You you can feel free. Little <laughs> little know? mongoose action never hurt anybody, if you know what I mean. And I think you do. You never need an excuse to talk about a talking mongoose, in my opinion. <laughs> so what are you guys doing this week? We're, we're recording our, off our schedule. So uh, instead of weekend, what are you guys doing this week? What are you looking forward to? Recuperating. Um, I need to call my ex as soon as I hang up here. Um, we are working on getting Carter a vehicle. Ooh. Ooh. How exciting. Christy here, just by myself. 
It was at this point in the recording that Amber and I uh, dug into talking about some more stuff that we're not going to share publicly. And then my cat unplugged my Wi-Fi. I disappeared from our Google meeting. And uh, they just kind of devolved into discussing uh, uh, how Amber and I would attend to disposing of Scott's porn if he died. So that's what you missed. And I would like to thank you, as always, for listening to our filthy words and this slightly unorthodox goodbye portion of the show. So we will see you next week. Have a great spooky ween, guys. My sources this week are Randolph Churchill in Women's Illustrated 1952, Rebecca Northfield on Engineering and Technology, the Townshend Family Website, Jonathan Thompson on The Independent, Miss Jessel on The Haunted Palace Blog, Ed Smith on the BBC, Hoaxes.org, and the Library of Congress. My sources are thelineup.com, several articles from Wikipedia, of course, whistlingshade.com, hyperallergic.com and mentalfloss.com My sources this week are the lineup by Jessica Ferry independent.co.uk by Jonathan Thompson pdsh.fandom.com catdevitt.com whistlingshade.com by Joel Van Valen and wikipedia.org <laughs>